Father, we come to you, Lord, and we are not here as an intellectual um, exercise of just studying the Bible. Lord God, we are here because we are desperate for our Savior to save us, for our healer to heal us, for our master to lead us, and for our God to complete us. Breathe into us your very life, Father. Lord, we know that's your will. You demonstrated it with Adam and Eve. You breathed life into them, Lord. And we are asking, we're begging, we're seeking you to do the same thing in our hearts. God, the, the death of this world, the death of our flesh, it just permeates our hearts like a bad perfume. And God, we need your fresh breath to come into our heart, we ask for that. And we believe, Lord, that you'll hear us. We believe that you will answer us. We believe. God, we pray that your word would would truly change us today. In your name we pray, amen. Today's Bible study is called How Makeup and Muscle Cars Could Keep You from Jesus. How makeup or how muscle cars or makeup could keep you from Jesus. Have you ever sent a text message that was not meant for the person you sent it, sent it to? Have you ever received a text message where you're like, this probably isn't for me? My wife got one of those this last, uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was quite alarming for us to say the least. I looked up a couple examples. Here's one. Uh, this wife got a text from her husband. Well, she sent a text that said, do I look like a cow? Now, men, if you get this text, there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with that. But basically, you're in trouble no matter what, right? But this is what he texted back. Moo. <laughs> she said, she just has a, a, she texted back a frowny face and she's like, great. And he's like, moo, moo, two more times. And she's like, be nice, you're being so mean. And he's like, oh my gosh, that was the worst autocorrect ever. I'm saying no, no, I promise you, no. (laughs) Autocorrect can kill you in a marriage. Here's another good autocorrect one. Uh, Brooke texted her friend, Hey, my grandma's in the hospital. I hope she gets better. Frowny face. I hope she dies. Smiley face is the response. (laughs) All capitals now. The response, Why did you want my grandma to die? And then you smiled about it. So her friend is mad. She said, "I I meant does. I meant does. I hope she does. Darn autocorrect. Well, these are very embarrassing situations, very embarrassing situations. Can you, would you guys do something for me? Would you guys dig through your purses or your wallets, and would you pull out your driver's license? Come on. Don't say no. Don't say no. We're all a team. You don't even know what I'm going to do. You have no idea. Pull it out. Hold it up for me when you get it out. I just want to see who's got it. Who's legal to drive? This is, I'm checking because I'm watching you guys. Come on, pull them out, pull them out. 
Some of you might be proud of your driver's license photo. Some of you might. But I, I have a, a belief, thank you, I have a belief that, just hold them in your hand now, that they've installed these cameras that automatically take terrible pictures for driver's license photos. You guys agree with me? Right? You'd think if, if we were going to have a contract to see, we would like to take the picture of every human being in America that they would hire someone like Grant Glamour Shots or something, right? Someone to make you look fabulous. Someone to make you look fabulous. Well, I came across some really good ones, so let's show, show these. Well, this is a good one here. What, what a great looking, what a great looking driver's license photo said no one ever. I like, I like those, these little pictures. So that's a good one right there. He's excited. He's really excited. And this is mine right here. So this is today's driver's license photo for me. So as you can see, I, I have the beginnings of a beard, but, but not quite manly enough, I would say. And it's, it's very off-centered. So I have more beard on this side than that side. So if you wanted to know all my details, my vitals, they're all right there. So are, are you afraid right now that I'm going to ask you to pass around your driver's license? Would you do it if I did? The, the, the feeling that we're having inside, maybe some of you have, you're sweating, maybe you're nervous, is, is this embarrassment that comes. When we feel embarrassed, our natural inclination is to hide or cover up our issues, isn't it? Well, I'm, I saw some of you were holding your photo, your driver's license up like this. You put your finger right over your face like, hey, here's my driver's license. You'd rather people see your weight than your photo. We try to fix our shortcomings. We try to overcome what we feel like isn't, isn't the best version of us. But today we're going to learn how makeup and muscle cars, they, they just keep us from Jesus. And he is really the one that we need. So as we get to Genesis chapter 18, I'm going to give you the setting of what chapter, just to reacquaint ourselves with chapter 17. Three months ago was chapter 17. And in that chapter, Abraham and Ishmael and all the males in Abraham's family, they all were circumcised as a sign of their relationship, their covenant with God, that he had chosen them, that he had forgiven them, that he had saved them, that he was using them. So in this sign, we learned that they were now more sensitive to God. They, they're no longer trusting in their flesh. And they were set aside as God's people, separated from the world. They were different, different looking even than the rest of the world now. Not because they wanted to be different, but because they were different. Not because they wanted it, but because they actually were different. And that's the difference between a legalistic person who is just trying to fake it until they make it, someone who's just going to church and playing the game, and someone who has really been touched by God and been transformed by God through the Spirit. We would call that person a truly spiritual person and the imitator a legalistic person. Well, now we get to chapter 18. This is going to be glorious, so check it out. It says, The Lord appeared to him, 
by the tabernacle trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the, tor- in the tent door in the heat of the day. He, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground. He ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground. So these three guys appear, but it's, it's the Lord. He is one of these guys, so we know that's, that's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. How do we know every time that the Lord appears to someone that it's, it's Jesus? How do we know that? Well, it says in, in the New Testament that, that the Father is a spirit, and no one, no man has ever seen the Father. But Jesus reveals him. So when, when God shows up in a human bodily form in the Old Testament, it's always Jesus, a, a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. And we see here Abraham, he ran out to him. This is faith. Picture in your mind the end of pretty much every chick flick ever. When they run to each other and, and embrace each other in their arms. You know, you hear the sound, Brinkley. Sleep is in Seattle. You'll get that later. Don't worry. Faith is running with expectation. Running with expectation. Arms wide open. Faith. And the second part of what we see is humility. He bows down. And so these two parts put together, faith and humility, they are the biblically correct way to approach God. This is how God says, I want you to do it. So Abraham, he's doing a great job here. But Hebrews says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Grace is the way God wants us to relate to him. Abraham, he's in this great place. He is going to receive grace in this place. How do I know that? Am I just making this up? Am I just saying Abraham is doing a good job? No. Hebrews, or uh, James 4, 6 says, God gives grace to the humble. Is Abraham being humble? Yes. Romans 5, 2 says, we have access into this grace in which we stand by faith. So humility and faith are the two ways, the two things that we can focus on if you would like to receive God's grace, if you would like to be accepted by God's grace, humility and faith. See, Abraham, he doesn't need to try to cover anything up. He knows he's already forgiven and free. That's what that whole covenant has already bought for him. That whole covenant has already convinced him that God loves him and that God has a plan for his life and that God has forgiven him of all his sins. So he doesn't have to try to cover anything up. And he doesn't need a muscle car. He doesn't need a muscle car to zoom out to Jesus rolling up there like a boss saying, look what I have accomplished, God. Look what I've been accomplishing. Look at how wonderful my efforts have been for you. Isaiah 64, 6 is is an important verse for us. It says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. They all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. The great enemy of following Jesus is self-sufficiency or self-confidence 
Or look at my muscle car. Look at my muscles. Look at what I've been doing for you, God. I've been waking up at four in the morning, praying and reading your word. Look at how many people I've shared the gospel with. Look at these things. When we approach him based on how good you've been doing, you, this is self-sufficiency. This is self-exaltation. But you're thinking, wait, this doesn't make sense because church has always told me that it was important about sharing the gospel. Yes, it is. It's important to read the Bible. Yes, it is. It's important to pray. Yes, it is. But those, none of those things are how we approach God. None of those things are our confidence when we step into his presence, when we run to him. None of those things are able to give us confidence because you know what? No matter how many people you share with, the voice comes in your mind that says you could have shared with one more. No matter how much you've served God, that voice can come in and say, you could have served, served God more. And you know what? That voice is right. It's right. All our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. So why serve him? We're going to get to that in just a minute. It's because you love him and he loves you. But it's never the reason why we can approach him. So look what Abraham says here. He runs out there in humility and faith. He, he bows before God and he, he's ran to him. And what does he do? He says, ah, oh, my Lord, verse 3, if I have found favor, or the, if can also be since, I have found favor or grace. Favor is another word for grace. Since I found grace or favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let water be brought and, and wash your feet and rest yourself under this tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. You have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. Abraham here, he is awesome. He is saying, since you have loved me and since you have saved me, since you have done everything for me, since you've been gracious to me, you know what I would like to do? I would just like to be your servant. I would just like to be your servant. This is the response of love. He's not hiding. He's open before God. He's open. Use me as I am. Even with all my mistakes and all my sins, God, use me as I am. It reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden, what they should have been doing. They were supposed to be serving God, naming the animals, tending the garden and such. But what were they doing? Hiding. 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 What is it that keeps us hiding? What is it that convinces us that hiding is such a good idea? Well, it's our shame. It's our shame that arises out of our pride, thinking I should have been better. I should have done better. I should have performed at a higher level. And now I'm ashamed at what I actually am. 
what the Bible actually tells me that I am, filthy rags before the Lord. And who is it that we're hiding from? It's Jesus. So it seems then that you're either serving the Lord or hiding from him. Either serving the Lord or hiding from him. Check out some of these details that we see about Abraham serving the Lord. He gives us a lot of really good details in this little section here. Grace is the first thing in the mind of a servant. Abraham said, I, if I found favor or since I found favor or grace, since we have this relationship based on what you've done, not me, man, I would love to be your servant. He says, since you have come to your servant, I just, that's all I want to be called is your servant. Grace is the first thing on their law, not the mind, not, uh, not the law. Sorry, I, I messed up all the words in that sense. Grace is the first thing on their mind, not law. Grace is the first thing on their mind. Make this personal. There's a question on your Anchor Deep page that says, because Jesus has bought me with a price and died for me on the cross, I would be willing to. And it's blank. And I didn't have an answer for that. But this is for you guys, for you, to pray and think about it. So we're going we're gonna to take a quick moment and close our eyes. We're going to ask the Lord this question. We're going to ask, Since, because Jesus has bought me with a price and died for me on the cross, I would be willing to. And just think, what would, what would you be willing to do? So we're going to take a moment right now, close our eyes. And Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us and you would place a small desire in our heart. Maybe some of you thought, I'd be willing to die for the Lord. Maybe some of you thought, I'd be willing to, to change diapers. Maybe some of you, I'd be willing to teach on Sundays. I don't know. And none of those are wrong answers. But maybe some of you thought or hear these answers and you're thinking, well, that's not how I really feel about serving right now. I feel like it's a chore. I feel like it's a burden just just to come to church. Just to show up on time is like my, my burden. How can I change that? And the answer is to go back to grace like Abraham did. Go back to remembering what he has done for you. There are many people here serving right now in the children's ministry and in the nursery. And I, I'm so blessed by them. I'm so blessed. And I hope and I pray that serving at church is not a burden to the ones that are here today. I hope it's, it's that they are excited about what God has done for them. And so they want now just to love and serve others. 
Number two, it's, number one, let's go back to grace. Number two is that it's not about me. It's about what would refresh your heart. Abraham here, he says that you would refresh your hearts. Let me, let me wash your feet. Let me get you some food. It's about what would make Jesus happy. When we think about serving at church, it's not about what we want to do. It's about what does Jesus, that's why we took a moment to pray and hopefully see what would, what would make Jesus happy that I could do. This is called waiting upon the Lord. And in Psalm 27, 14, it says, wait upon the Lord. It exhorts us, it encourages us, it teaches us, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Well, what does, what does a waiter do? Who in here has been a waiter in their life? Serving in a restaurant, the best waiters are always the ones who, who are watching you and who can anticipate your needs and your desires before you even do. In Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9, God says, I will instruct you and teach you on the way you should go, and I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which must be harnessed, which have no understanding, and they must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. In other words, God says, I would love to use you. I would love for you to serve me and wait upon me. And this is how I would like to do it. I would like to be able to sit there and just look at my cup. And you would be watching me so closely that you're like, Lord, may I serve you in this way? A cup of cold water for this little child. Oh, yeah. He said, don't be like a mule. I love the Lord's wisdom in dealing with some of his servants. He's like, I know some of you want to serve, but let me tell you, honestly, it's like trying to herd cats with you, or it's trying to, it's trying to get a mule to follow. I have to whip you. and I ha Do you really want it to be that way, God says? He says, I don't want it to be that way. I want serving in my church to be people tripping over themselves to meet the needs. I want your heart to be so soft because you're looking at me, you're staring at me, and you see a child that's having a rough day. And you're the first one there with a cup of cold water. Maybe that means an encouraging word. Maybe it means a hug. And I see this in our church many times. I see someone, a kid is just sitting there, and one of the adults in here will go up and will say, Hey, how you doing, buddy? That is being led by the eye of the Lord. That's what it means. You're sensitive. You're sensitive. Abraham here, he, he's becoming sensitive. He's learning how to serve the Lord. He has a desire to serve the Lord, and God's all about it. He's like, sure, let's do it. Abraham, he is observing that Jesus, God, would like some water and bread. Maybe he looked like he'd been on a journey. Maybe he looked thirsty and hungry. I don't know. So Abraham's like, I know, I can get him some food. The problem is that Abraham's just like me and he can't cook. How do you know? Well, I read the next verse. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, 
Make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender calf, and he gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter, milk, and the calf which he prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So now we see Abraham serving the Lord, and he's running around with great zeal and great effort, and he doesn't know how to cook, I guess, so he went to Sarah, and he recruits her, he recruits the young man, whoever that is, I don't know, my son, Zyman, is probably cooking better than me, he cooked us dinner the other day, and it was awesome, and uh, I'm a terrible cook, that's just all I'm going to say about that. So Abraham, though, he is now with great effort and great zeal, using great energy, serving the Lord. Wait, you might say, I thought you said that waiting upon the Lord is how we serve. Waiting upon the Lord. What happened to all the resting in Jesus and trusting in grace stuff? Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 15.10. And see if that helps us understand what the relationship is. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That means his grace has developed me. His grace has changed me. His grace has has grown me. And his grace towards me was not in vain, which means his grace that's working in me, it's for real. It's the real deal. I am really changed inside. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So Paul here, he's, he's explaining to us how this relationship works. Where are the works for a Christian? How do we serve the Lord with zeal and trust his grace at the same time? And the answer is that grace changes us and makes us desire to work. But we cannot reverse the order. You can't work so you get grace. Or work until you get grace. Fake it till you make it is not biblical. We can't do that. I can't have someone teaching the children until I know that their heart has been captured by the message that they're going to teach the kids. I don't even want you serving coffee until I know that your heart has been transformed by God's grace. It's got to be that first way. So we wait, like Abraham waited in his tent door. And then when he has an interaction with the Lord, he says, hey, you know what? I would like to serve you, God. Maybe today is your interaction. Maybe you have been just waiting at the tent door of your life. And you've been thinking, I'll serve the Lord at some point in my life. Maybe the Lord today comes to you and says, there's a need. Maybe this is the day that the grace transforms in your heart to actions. We'll see. You'll know when it is. You will know. Verse 9, then he said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So the Lord's eating this meal. And he says, you know what? I'd like to involve Sarah in something. I would like to get Sarah in on this. So he said, well, she's here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. 
Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself and said, After I have grown old, shall I have the pleasure? My Lord being old also? Basically saying, Abraham, if I'm old, Abraham is super old. This is not going to happen. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Surely I sh- shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So as our story here turns to Sarah, we see an extremely embarrassing situation for her. Maybe Abraham has tried to explain or or teach his wife, or maybe this is the first time she's actually hearing of the promise up until now. We know we have been following along with the story of Abraham. We've heard this promise many times. We're kind of getting old in it. But when she hears this unbelievable promise of God, she laughs. And and you guys know what it's like when you hear something so ridiculous that you just have to laugh. Like when a politician promises to tell the truth. I use a a quick story I heard this week. They have this film festival up in Loveland at at group publishing. And at this film festival, there was this one called Father Unknown. And it was was this short film that entered into the film fest. And they were doing a screening. And this film is about this... uh, boy and his dad who were looking for some family history of the grandpa who they didn't know. The birth certificate of the dad only said father unknown. So as they were going through this uh, process and the short film was going through, they, uh, they were finding some results and finding out who it is. And the, the, Hang on. I'm trying to remember the exact way that it goes. As they're going through the results, uh, they, they come across some, some information. And it's not necessarily like good information, but they found out who the father was. Uh, but someone in the movie said, it must be nice to not have a dad or something like that. I don't remember the exact words. And everyone in the audience laughed. Because it was just like a <laughs> uh, kind of sarcastic in the way that it was presented. And the, the author, the guy who had made, the, the producer who had made the movie, he was from Sweden. And, and he, he was really taken aback that everyone laughed at that point. Everyone laughed. And, and he, he did a question and answer. And so he had answered their questions about the film afterwards. And then he said, I have a question for you guys. Why, at this certain point in the movie, when someone made a comment about it may being better that they not had a dad, why did you all laugh at that point? And people stood up and tried to justify it. They tried to say something about it. They tried to say, oh, well, you know, it's because of this, and, well, you got to understand, and we're in America, and all these different things. But the truth is that it was just really awkward 
And, and it was just, they were like almost ashamed for that person. And it was the way that they tried to cover up their feeling of embarrassment for what they had just witnessed. So we're going to do a little exercise here. Everyone give me your best evil scientist laugh. <laughs> all right, Jonathan just blew you all out of the water. That was amazing, Jonathan. High five from way over here. Good job. Everyone give Jonathan a hand. Woo! See, when we laugh at something, it's, it's a natural reaction to the unbelievable. But it betrays something deeper in our story with Sarah. It betrays, it displays a deep place in her heart that was actually struggling to believe. She, she heard this promise and she's like, ah, that's impossible. <laughs> and I feel bad for Sarah because she gets called on the carpet by God. He's like, why did you laugh? And she lies. She lies to God. She tries to use makeup to overcome her shortcomings. And it's just a lie. She tries to cover up the truth. But not just the truth about her laugh. God doesn't really care if you laugh. If you laugh all the time, God's like not, I don't know, I'm not into laughing. That's not at all it. It's what the laugh betrayed. It's what the laugh revealed, which was her unbelief. She was embarrassed in the presence of God because her unbelief in his word and his promise. She's like, I can't believe that. I, God, I know it's you saying it, but I can't believe that. Well, God, he doesn't let this happen. He doesn't believe in makeup. God speaks very bluntly, clearly, and lovingly to Sarah when he says, no, Sarah, you did laugh. Sarah, I'm not going to deal with you trying to cover up stuff. This is where you are. This is where your heart is. This is the truth of who you are right now. You don't need to try to hide it from me. You don't need to try to run from me. Again, remember Adam and Eve when God said, Adam, where are you? Adam didn't need to try to cover it up. Eve didn't need to try to do that. But they did. We don't need to cover up our scars, our, our doubts, our failures with God. He is there as the healer. By his stripes, we are healed. He, he is confronting her to proclaim liberty and freedom, not condemnation. Why do we have conviction? Why does God give us the Holy Spirit to bring conviction into our lives? It's not because he's mean. It's not because he just wants you to feel bad every morning. It's because he refuses to accept muscle cars and makeup. He refuses to accept distance between you and him. He refuses to accept a cover-up. Let's look carefully at what God does to rescue her from this doubt that she's struggling with. Because we don't just leave it here. We don't just, God doesn't just leave her. He, what, he doesn't just tell her, you know, to put on some makeup and cover it up. You know, the, you've heard about the old church lady who, who came up to the pastor and asked if wearing makeup was a sin. 
And he told her, if the barn needs painting, paint it. So that's my theological view on makeup. If the barn needs painting, paint it. No, but what God does, he doesn't tell her just cover it up. God does is he draws her attention back to what? The power of the word of God. The word of God and the power of God put together. He gives her something to hang her hat on. He gives her a solid rock to stand on. And he does this by asking her a question. He says simply, is anything too hard for God? Sarah, who are you dealing with? Sarah, who are you talking to? What power are you relying on? Who do you think is going to get you pregnant? Me or the old guy next to you? Who are you looking at to accomplish this miracle? Sarah, I said it. I promised it. I meant it. I will do it. Will you believe me? Will you believe me? I understand it's crazy. But will you just humor me and believe me anyway? Will you just believe me anyway? Maybe you have a a situation in your life that seems impossible for God to change. Maybe it's sickness, cancer. Can I share? Okay. Rich has an eye problem. He's got a disease in his eyes. And we've been praying for Rich every week. We've laid hands on him. We have anointed him with oil. We've done everything the Lord has asked us to do. And the Lord this week healed his eyes. He can see. Yes. And the world thinks we're dumb and stupid for asking God to heal. But we believe. We are just crazy enough to believe. We are crazy enough to say, no, that is not what God has. God, I ask and I depend on you to heal rich. He's able to read now when he was not able to read this week. And this is amazing. This is all glory to God. Because I didn't accomplish anything. Your doctor didn't do anything. God did it. And we stand on that. And this is what we're learning today. Sarah, who are you talking to? I'm the one that made the promise. So I'm going to want to be the one that accomplishes it. A promise. Promises mean a lot to God. They do. There was a commander on his way to help a general at the Battle of Waterloo. And his men wanted to quit because the journey was difficult. But he stood up and he said, I refuse to accept your quitting. You are not quitting. And they said, why does this matter so much to you? Because I promised I would be there. Don't you know what a promise is, he said? And they were there at that battle. They made it. Because the character of the person making the promise is how good the promise is. If someone makes you a promise and their character is shady, you know you can't really depend on them. But when God makes a promise, what kind of character stands behind that? He is no man. He delights to keep his word and promises. He delights to. He loves to. He says, is there anything too hard for the Lord, Sarah? 
Our doubts do not need to be covered up, but rather replaced with belief in God's simple word. This is the lesson for today, and I'll repeat it for you. Our doubts do not need to be covered up, but rather replaced with belief in God's simple word. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do we need to hide when we have a doubt? No. Did I have doubts that God would heal rich? Yes, I did. I did. Honestly, there were times in my life when, Lord, maybe you don't want this. And when he sent me the text, I cried. Because the Lord's like, why'd you doubt? Why did you doubt me? And I prayed many times in faith, too, and I had a portion of my heart that did believe, but there was a portion of my heart that didn't believe. And God rebuked that portion. And he said, Sean, believe me. You asked for it. It's my Father's good pleasure to give it to you. Trust and wait upon me. Wait upon me. Fourteen times in the Old Testament, different people uh, asked God not to hide, hide his face from them shows me people wanted an intimate relationship with God. But once in the New Testament, you go to the book of Revelation, and the people who are going through the tribulation in total rebellion against God, what do they say? They say, fall on us and hide us rocks from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. All the people in the Old Testament, they wanted that relationship. When you get to the end, people are like, "I get me away from God. I don't want anything to do with him. God is calling us to have that face-to-face relationship where we can serve him. How sad is it that instead of seeking the face of the Lord, they're hiding from it at the end. Muscle cars and makeup, man. That's what it is all about. What it all, this all boils down to is self-exaltation. If your relationship with God is based on your efforts, your performance, you should get as much help as you can from your muscle cars and makeup. If it's all up to you, man, lather it on. Show God how good you are, how much he should bless you, how much he should give you the Holy Spirit. But if you would like to be freed from all that performanceism all of that old covenant living, just run to Jesus like Abraham did and bow down before him. This relationship of humility and faith, it creates in a heart in us that longs to serve him. So let me, let me get real serious with you for just a moment. The Lord needs servants. Our church desperately needs servants. We have people who have committed to serve every week and never come to service because they are serving the Lord, but also because they're the only ones that will do it. The Lord needs servants, and he only uses the church to get his kingdom work done in this world. He doesn't use the church and the United States government. It's only the church. We are it in this world. But he is willing to wait until we run to him and bow down to him before he'll do anything. 
He's willing to wait. He's not just going to magically burst open the doors with thousands of people getting saved. It is not going to happen. He is going to wait until we will run to him in faith and bow down to him in humility. He is going to wait to heal you until you run to him in faith and bow down to him in humility. He is going to wait to give you freedom from that sin that you're struggling with until you run to him and bow down to him. Grace works in that way. Never another way. We think we're the ones waiting for him to do big things? Are you kidding me? No, he is the one waiting for us to run to him and bow down to him before he feels confident, comfortable enough to unleash his power, to unleash his blessings. If you really think about it, who should have been the one more afraid of God? Abraham or Sarah? We don't read of anything Sarah's really done wrong, except for the whole, here, sleep with my maidservant. Abraham has messed up nearly every chapter we've been learning about a great blunder in Abraham's life. But the difference between Abraham and Sarah is striking. Because Abraham, he knows he's a goober. And he's fine with it. And he'll run to God and he'll say, God, humility and faith is what I present to you. Sarah, she's not there yet. She'll get there. But she's not there yet. Abraham, he's messed up so much, but his confidence is in the Lord, not in his performance. From the bottom of his heart, he believes that God loves him and is for him. God loves him and is for him. Do you believe that? That offer is on the table for you as well. Now, in my devotions this week, the Lord gave me something else to share that's not even in my notes. So this one's for free. Bonus. And this is a warning that comes at the end of our study today about what God feels about people who fake it. Okay? And this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says, chapter 11, verse 12, he says, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things which, which, with which they boast. So basically, Paul is saying, there's some people out there who say they're apostles. They say they are serving God, but they're not. They, they want to work. They want to impress you into thinking that they're God's chosen people. Okay? And then he says, for such are false prophet, apostles, deceitful workers. And, and then he's going to say one word. That is, that shows us what he's talking about. He says they are transforming themselves. Two words, actually. Transforming themselves. Transforming themselves. When we are putting on makeup, when we're rolling up in a muscle car saying, look how good I've done. Look at, I don't have any flaws. Don't look at me. We are trying to transform ourselves from who we really are to try to impress God or God's people. Transforming themselves. And he says, these are false prophets and they're deceitful workers. That's Paul's opinion of them. False and deceitful. False and deceitful. Do you want to be that? No. Neither do I. I don't want to be a false or a deceitful. They transform themselves into apostles of Christ. 
And no wonder, Paul says, he, this is where he nails him. He says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. In other words, if your deal is just faking it, and if your deal is covering up things, and if your deal is, is trying to look good, he says, yeah, because that's what Satan does too, and that's who your daddy is. That's what Paul says here. He transforms himself into an angel of light. Is Satan an angel of light? No. But he transforms himself. He tries to present that. And and he says, therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Boom. Right. Paul saying, if it's not real, you're satanic. If you're here and it's not real, your father is Satan and you're going to hell. If your heart has never been transformed by God, not transformed by you, not you coming into church and saying, I want to be just a little better. I want my life to be a little better. I want this prayer to be answered, this thing to be healed, this problem of mine to go away. If that's where you're at, you're not saved. And God calls you and says, it can be real. The offer's on the table. I will transform you you come to me in faith and humility, run to me and bow down. We're going to sing that song, Desert Song. We didn't even plan this, but it's such a Holy Spirit thing, Jarrett. That song, Desert Soul, where it says, I am running, but I'm broken, but I'm going to run. And I just, oh man, as I was singing that song, I was like, this is this sermon in it. God, this is exactly what Abraham did was this. And we're going to sing that song again. I don't even care what you had planned. We're going to sing it again. We're going to sing it with all our hearts, and we are going to run to him in our hearts, and we're going to bow down to him, our life laid before him, submissive to his will. Amen?